For the next four weeks, we are going to be looking at what the Bible has to say about baptism. And it seems to be one of those issues that's pretty sensitive to a lot of folk. And I pray as we walk through this together in a pretty methodical fashion that you will understand what the Bible has to say and you will understand that um, maybe grandma's opinion's not what it's cracked up to be. Or maybe you'll understand that uh, maybe a teaching that you were taught long ago maybe not be right where we ought to be scripturally. So I ask you for the next four weeks just to keep me in your prayers because I do know this is a very, very sensitive topic. But I do believe it is a prerequisite and one of our foundational cores that we need to understand and practice as we continue to search God's will for us in our life. Since we've been here in this place, we have probably added about 130 people to our church membership. And more than half of those have come through baptism. And I believe that God calls us to encourage people to make that kind of a decision. Today during second service, two more of my friends will be baptized, not so much into this church, but into Jesus and what he has to do for their life. So I want us to pray this morning. Before I get going, and I want you to pray that you might uh, uh, have your minds open, and I hope that this four-week study might be a uh, review for some of us, and it might be the kind of thing that uh, energizes us to um, uh, share with our friends, and it might be new for some of us for the very, very first time, and as we continue to study God's Word, I think this is the only book, the only opinion that really matters, don't you? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your kindness and for your love, and I thank you for this place, and I thank you for my friends today who are making one of the most important decisions they will ever make in their life. And I pray as they walk with you, you will guide them all the days of their life. Be with us as we study, and help us, Father God, to allow your word to speak to us. In your son's name I pray, amen. Johnny's mother looked out her kitchen window, she heard Johnny doing some things, and she wanted to check on him, and she noticed that Johnny was outside playing with his cat, and this is what she saw when she first saw them, and then as she watched and listens, it was obvious that he was playing church with his cat, and he was preaching to his cat, and she thought that was pretty amusing. She was going to go grab a camera and capture the moment. And when she was making her way back into the kitchen, she heard their cat going crazy, hissing and meowing. And she looked out the window and Johnny was baptizing their cat into a tub of water. She said, Johnny, don't don't do that. The cat's afraid of water and you will scare her. And Johnny said, well, she should have thought about that before she joined my church. Here's the picture that she captured. You know, you never know what's going to happen once you get in the baptistry, and I have some things I will never forget. I've talked to friends, and they have some things they will not forget. A friend who goes by the name of Ed told a candidate that he was ready to baptize, and he baptized him in the name of Jesus, and he took him under the water. When he came back up out of the water, he remembered that he was supposed to use all three names of the Trinity, he thought. So he baptized him again in the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, 
and the father. He brought him back out of the water a third time, and he realized that he had gotten the names kind of backwards, so he baptized him again in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And after coming up for the third time, the man being baptized said, are you trying to drown me or baptize me? When we were downtown, our baptistry was much larger than what we have now. And I was baptizing a friend, I'll just say by the name of Ray. Okay, Ray Littekin. Those of you who know my friend Ray. Baptized him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And when I let go, he did a somersault underwater and swam out of the baptistry. And he ended up where no one else could see him but me. And he went, and I thought, I'm going to kill you. This is going to be your last day of, of life. Alan and Carol Byers, I don't know how many remember this family. Alan was a longtime policeman here in our city, and he retired and now lives uh, in the Carolinas, and he preaches. They had a foster child. I cannot remember his name. I remember they came to get me out of children's church. He was supposed to be baptized the following Sunday, but he wanted to be baptized that Sunday because he was going to be removed from his foster home. And as we're up preparing for the baptism, because you remember the baptistry downtown was way up high. They told me that my little friend was afraid of water. And they also told me that the water heater, which was in the basement for our baptistry downtown, was not working. So the water was like 20 degrees below zero. And my little friend was afraid to go in. So that Sunday, as I picked him up and he clung to me like my friend Johnny's cat would, I said, I baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and we both went under. That was the only way that was going to happen that day. How would you like to be the lady in this poem? Our preacher, the Reverend Grundy, baptized my sister last Sunday. But he lost his grip and she turned a flip and... She's expected to surface next Monday. There's a story about three brothers that were going to be baptized on the same day and on the way to church. The youngest asked his mom if he could go first because he did not want to be baptized in all the sins that were floating in the baptistry when his two brothers were baptized. Can you remember the day that you were baptized? Where it was, what you had on? I can go back that far and I can remember exactly where I was, what I was wearing. Back in those days, my mom and dad dressed me funny. I had on a red blazer. Can you imagine that? Black pants, white shirt, red socks to match. I looked like the dork from, it was crazy. But I remember, never forget that day. During the next few weeks, I want to really explore, examine this topic of baptism. First of all, I want you to understand it. I want you to know what it is, what it's good for, how to do it, and when to do it, and why to do it. Also, it's important, secondly, I want you to do more than understand it. I hope that we have people in our church family that respond to the command of Jesus and obey that command and are buried in Christian baptism properly. And thirdly, I hope as we go through this information that It will be the kind of thing that you might be re-energized by and feel comfortable talking to family and friends about this thing we call baptism.
So today, baptism, what it's all about, by the book, it's all about sin. I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 3. Our main passages are going to come out of Romans 6, but we can't really go to Romans 6 until we understand Romans 3. Romans 3.23 says, We all have sinned, and we fall short of the glory of God. I mean, this isn't rocket science. Do you understand what that means? That means you're a sinner. That means I'm a sinner. If you're in this room today, the Bible says we have all sinned. If you're outside of this room today, doesn't exclude you. That means you're a sinner too. So that's where we start. We understand the process of sin. And then if you turn with me to Romans chapter 6, I want to read the first four verses. It's interesting because this piece of scripture was written to people who had already been baptized. I mean, they weren't newbies. This wasn't something new to them. They had already been baptized, and it uh, uh, specifically speaks to that moment and what's expected after the moment. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? They realized that the greatest gift from God was grace, forgiveness. And they knew that they received that gift at baptism. That's when their sins were forgiven. So they asked the question, well, then now that we've been baptized, now that we have been forgiven, and since grace is God's greatest gift, should we just go ahead and sin and allow God to bless us with his grace and forgiveness? Paul says, by no means. In fact, in the Greek, it might be translated, no, no, never, never. I just threw this in, uh, uh, uh. (laughs) We died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death and in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now that's where we start today, and many more scriptures and passages will surface in these next few weeks, but I want you to understand that we're all sinners. That's where it starts. And I want you to understand, too, that there was some issues going on in this early church's life, and they needed to have it explained Again, to remind them of why they did what they did. So two things I want us to look at and understand this morning. The first is this. Once we are baptized, the relationship that we have with Jesus, that we have with the Father through the Son, is sealed. Maybe this is the best way to explain this. Those of you who are married... Have your children, have any of your children ever asked you how you knew that he or she was the one? That ever happened? Did they ever crawl up in your lap and say, hey, dad, how'd you know mama was the one for you? Or did they ever crawl up in your lap and say, hey, mom, why'd you pick him? Ever been there? And as we think about that, Was it the first time you saw your mate? Was that what sealed the deal? 
Maybe it was after your very first date. Did that seal the deal? Maybe it was the first kiss. After date 37, that sealed the deal. Maybe it was after the first meal that she prepared for you that sealed the deal. Maybe it was the proposal that finally brought it into reality. We'll talk about this later in just a few moments, but I don't know what it was that sealed the deal for you. Now, I got to tell you, some marriages still struggle with this because they still haven't decided if their spouse is their one and only. Some aren't sure they know, and there's a specific answer to that question. I want us to deal with it in just a few. The Bible has a peculiar way of describing a committed relationship. The relationship between the Christian, the follower, and Jesus. It uses the word in or into when referring to the relationship. The Bible might say that the Christian is in Jesus... Or that Jesus is in the Christian, and here are a few examples from that in the text. The first comes from Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says there, all the saints, all the followers are in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 14 says, peace to all of you who are in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 says, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Now, that's just the sampling of many verses that indicate that. The Bible also tells us that Jesus is in us. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Romans eight ten says, If Christ is in you, then the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is alive. Colossians 1, 27 says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Obviously, what is being conveyed is not a physical attachment, but it's a closeness or a relationship that is done in a spiritual realm. And we are in Jesus, and the Bible says he is in us. So are we there? My question is, when does that happen? When do you become in Jesus, and when does Jesus come in to you? I mean, at what moment does that happen? And in Paul's writing in Romans 6, he helps us. He says, remember, in verse 3, what happened when you were baptized? Verse 3, he says, you were baptized into Christ Jesus. Now, there could have been a lot of things that happened before that, but it was the baptism that sealed the deal. It was the baptism... That moment that brought him into you and you into him. It's interesting to note that the Bible never says that we believe into Christ. Now, belief is part of the process, is it? But the Bible never says that we believe into him. Or does the Bible ever say that we turn from our sins into Jesus? Now, forgiveness and grace is part of the deal, but that's not what connects us. 
The Bible never says that we attend church into Christ Jesus. The Bible never says that we sing ourselves into Christ Jesus. Do you see what I'm trying to paint a picture of today? The Bible says when you are baptized, you are baptized into Christ Jesus. You allow him to come into your heart and he allows you to be a part of his plan. All of these things, when we come together, they're all part of a process, but the only thing that brings us into a relationship with Jesus, evidently, the moment is the baptism. You will have a time when you start believing in him. It will happen. There will be a time, maybe a specific moment, when you will begin saying no to sin consistently. And there will be a time when you will remember that you started during this time to attend church regularly so you might grow and stretch and become more. You see, it's all part of the process, and all of these things help us develop a relationship, but evidently it's the baptism that seals the deal and brings us back to where, where we need to be. So if I could go quickly back to the question that I asked about your one and only I have to ask myself, how did I know that my wife was the one and only for me? Her maiden name is Circeone. My family called her Debbie Macaroni and Debbie Pepperoni. And I had to marry her because I couldn't spell her last name. When we first started dating, I asked her roommate out. Debbie, remember? Donna I knew you'd remember. Donna O'Bringer. Pretty young gal from Michigan City, Indiana, and I thought that this was the one for me, or at least I wanted to check this thing out. And I asked Donna out, and Debbie came with her. Now, I don't know anything about that deal, but back in the day, I had a, I had a Chevelle Malibu. It was white with a black top, and it wasn't an SS, but, man, it looked pretty sweet. Back in those days, you had two bucket seats in the front, and then there was no console back in those days, but I had a pillow there. What do you think that pillow was for? For women if they wanted to sit closer to the driver. I mean, that was the plan. That was the deal. Open the doors for Donna and, Deb- and Debbie. And Debbie got in first and she went right to the pillow. I'm thinking this is... This is unusual. Donna got in the back seat. No, I'm kidding you, I'm kidding you, I'm kidding you. She sat in the front seat there that had no pillow, but that whole night it was just Debbie and I talking and laughing, and we sent Donna to get some more breadsticks a couple times. I'm kidding you, I'm kidding you, I'm kidding you. But that's the way it started. That was my first and last date with Donna O'Bringer. My first of many dates with Debbie Circioni. We dated for four years through college. She was a cheerleader. I was playing some ball. So we were kind of forced together in a lot of ways. And you know, I was attracted to her when we first met, especially since she sat on the pillow. But I didn't commit my life to her that, that night. 
I knew I enjoyed being with her, but that didn't seal the deal. We dated four years, pretty exclusively through college. And it seemed that we had a lot of things that we both enjoyed doing, and none of our dates sealed us together forever, but it helped us get to know one another. The first meal she made for me was pretty stinking good. Now that didn't seal the deal, but it didn't hurt anything either. Even the first kiss didn't bind us for eternity. But it didn't hurt anything either. All of those things help us develop a relationship so that there would be a moment of commitment when we would seal the deal. And that happened June 14th, 1975. You do the math. We've been married for a long time. Through that time together, it was easy for me to understand what it meant to have a soulmate. That day, we stood before family and friends in Erie, Illinois, of all the places, before a very good friend of ours, and we said our I do's. Now, I've spoken to people before who live together outside of marriage and maybe even have children together, and I'll ask them why they haven't married, and most of the time to say that we're really not ready for that kind of commitment. They don't mind developing their relationship, but they don't want to seal the deal. So we exchanged promises years ago, and we exchanged rings To this day, I'm not sure how much her engagement ring cost, but it was kind of little. But when I gave her that ring in a bag of french fries, I'm glad she didn't eat it. She promised when she accepted that ring to meet me in Erie, Illinois, June 14, 1975. When we exchanged our wedding rings that day, we promised to be with each other for the rest of our lives. So whenever we see our rings, we are reminded of the time that we made a promise many years ago in a real small town in Illinois. Just as marriage vows seal our commitment to our spouse, baptism seals our commitment to God. When my friends are baptized here in just a little bit, I will ask them two questions. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And if they say, I do, will we continue? Do you accept him now as your Lord and Savior? If they say, I do, we continue the deal. And down they go. Promises are made. Words are exchanged. One of the questions that I get now and then is if we baptize infants. And we don't. You know why we don't? It's not in the book. Nowhere can you show me chapter and verse in the book where it has anything to do with baptizing babies. Baptism is a personal decision that we make to seal a relationship that we have been developing, and there is no magic age. In fact, when I was youth minister many years ago, I would encourage kids who are around fourth grade to start thinking about baptism start thinking about it and we would have sessions that would describe 
what it was about and how we did it and why we did it because it's, it's an important decision. I think probably the most important decision you will ever make outside of who you marry someday. And it's a personal decision and infants can't make a pledge. Have you ever gone to a christening, an infant baptism? Do they talk to the baby? Baby's just a baby. They talk to, to mom and dad and they dedicate themselves and their baby. And I think that's a good thing, but that has nothing to do with, with baptism. I do know if a person reaches the age of 18 before they are baptized, 85% will never make a decision to be baptized into Jesus. That's why we need a youth ministry. That's why we need people who are sharing themselves with our young people because if they don't make a decision before they leave high school, chances are they may never make that decision ever. Now, I know there's exceptions to the rule. But that's the way it breaks itself down. The first thing that happens at baptism, if you've been baptized, it reminds you of the moment your walk with Christ officially began. If you have not been baptized, let me encourage you to seal the relationship with Jesus that you have been developing for a long, long time. So that's the first thing. The second thing, and then we're done this morning. The route that you select in life is done. Once you make that decision, the route is selected. You know, remember Temptation Island? Remember that show? Then there was The Bachelor. And now there's Dating in the Dark. Have you seen that one? And I hope you haven't seen this one. It's called Naked dating or dating naked. I mean, our culture has really gone to some extremes. Things like speed dating and online dating, not quite as popular as they once were, but they're still pretty, pretty out there. And People will do anything they can to, to, to lock into a relationship. Can you remember when you were single? When I was single, I pretty much did anything I wanted to do for me. No one told me when to come home. No one told me what to do, what not, how to spend my money. And if there were donuts or tennis shoes or anything out there I wanted, I went after. I had a friend, and she's not here yet this morning, but she worked at a store here in town, and even after I was married, she would call me whenever they were having a shoe sale because she knew my size. I have another friend on the east side who has a running store. Now he's downtown and he has my size. I could call him today and he would have a pair of shoes just for my feet by tomorrow. When I was single, I spent money without approval. That would be wise for me to do today to not spend money without approval. Debbie, you remember when I had a motorcycle? My brother came to me and said, hey, Jerry, if we both get motorcycles, we can get them at a discount price. I thought, man, that would be sweet. 
So I went to David and I said, hey, it's going to save us some gas mileage. We really can't afford a second vehicle. Is it going to save us some gas money? And, and it'll be, uh, I'll, I'll be, anyhow, she kind of gave me the green light. And my brother put them both in our garage because my mom was coming in that weekend. I thought that was a pretty good idea until I remembered that my mom hated motorcycles. And we had one of those ear-bending talks that day. My dad didn't say anything. He wanted to ride it. But my mom had a lot to say, and I would have never done that without Debbie's approval. I've asked her a few times if it's time for me to get another bike, and she looks at me funny, and I know that means no. When I was single, I didn't want to make the bed. I didn't make the bed. If I wanted to leave cookies out, I left cookies out. I still don't make the bed very good, (laughs) but I do put my cookies up now. You know, in the book, Men are from Mars and women are from Venus. It says, the wise groom know what love is like. It's death. If lovers don't know this, they are headed for trouble. Never will you have your way again. The sooner you learn this, the better you will be. You will learn where to keep the thermostat in your house. Who's in charge of your thermostat? I see those hands. I see those elbows. You will learn to watch shows that you really don't want to watch. When we were first married, there was a movie, uh, a TV series, Little House on the Prairie. Remember that? Anybody remember when it came on? It was on Monday nights. You know what else is on Monday night? Football. Monday. (laughs) Debbie always wanted to watch Little House. This was before we could record things. Cannot tell you how many episodes of Little House in the Stinking Prairie I watched. You'll learn to do things. You'll learn to compromise. You'll learn that that commitment changes everything. Paul says in Romans 6, verse 3, you were baptized into Christ Jesus. He also says we were baptized into our death. And this tells me of another critical thing that happens at baptism. We are making a decision to put to death our old way of living. That person doesn't exist anymore. They think differently, act differently, live differently. You're on a new route from that day forward. And there's a reason that Paul's writing this to the Christians in Rome. Because some of them were slipping back into their old ways. And they knew that God was going to forgive them and they were going to go ahead and sin. And Paul says, you can't do that. Remember what you decided when you were baptized to quit going down that path and living that kind of life. And you know, baptism is a perfect symbol of death. That's why the Bible may call it the watery grave. Usually when a person is lowered down under the water, usually they stop breathing and they close their eyes. Symbolically speaking, they are dying. When they are raised up out of the water, they usually open their eyes and start breathing again. That's the way it works. And the Bible says they begin to walk in newness of life because at that moment they have made a change in their relationship. They have sealed the deal and now they are going in a different direction. Now there are times when I found myself drifting back into my old selfish way of of life and when I want my opinion to count and I want the best for me and 
fortunately, God gave me a wife that is full of grace and forgiveness. And Did I say that her name was Circeone, so she has some contacts, you know? So I try to straighten myself up and fly fly right. Verse 4, Paul says, We put to death the old way of life that served our own interests. That was the past. He says, We start living a new life that serves the interest of Christ. That is the present and the future. And that's why baptism in the Bible is always by immersion. When we are lowered under the water as we die to our old way of living and we are raised to walk in newness of life, we experience, the Bible says, a new birth and we begin to walk a new direction in our new journey. So that's what happens. We seal the deal and we select a new route to follow. And the good news is this, God offers each and every one of us the chance for a new beginning and it starts with a relationship with his son Jesus and that's not possible until the moment that we have the baptismal experience and we change direction. I told you it would be kind of a sensitive study this morning and it will get more intense in the next three weeks. I encourage you, if you have never considered such a process, to think it through, to pray it through, to read it through, to study it through before you go any further.